The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Thanks, Hayes. Thanks, Mardo. Uh, the run home again back from 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon here on SENWA. We're into drive now with Peter Vlahos, taking you through until 6 o'clock thanks to Toolmart, where you get the right tool from the start. They are the complete tool centre. We'll talk tennis with Brett Phillips in just a moment. He's our SEN tennis experts because there's quite a few Australians vying to get into the main draw at Wimbledon. We've got news regarding Serena Williams uh, and certainly some other news regarding some of the big names when it comes to tennis. So we're going to have a bit of a snapshot uh, a couple of days out from Wimbledon, which gets underway on Monday on uh, the likely standings. A couple of other players have decided to withdraw because there's no rankings points, but we'll get a real idea of exactly what Wimbledon will look like uh, for next Monday when we speak to Brett Phillips. We'll also speak to one of the most controversial and colourful characters football that is Australian rules has ever seen. Sure, we just wanted to ask you if you've spoken to your son at all. No, I haven't. And can you go and get get out of my life and out of my property and ring up and make a time like every other got any man? In Perth, Big Bad Mal Brown is in the wars again. Brown has been charged with misconduct for assaulting an East Fremantle player during yesterday's WAFL Grand Final. It wasn't a good day for Brown. His side, South Fremantle, was easily defeated by East Fremantle. For the newly crowned Premiers, 1972 had a chilling anti-climax at the Australian Team Championships in Adelaide. There, the Blues met one Malcolm Brown. It was a meeting that left an impression on many of them. To make matters worse, Carlton lost the fight to the bulky West Australian and the championships to North Adelaide. Look, what I said was applicable 15 years ago. I would have used that terminology 15 years ago, as uh, the boys I coached and have grown up with, the Aboriginal boys would know. And today, from what's happened, I can see that uh, I was insensitive and and it was inappropriate in 2000 and, uh, 2010. But uh, I'm not racist, and uh, I'll let when I die, I'll let the Aboriginal people assess me. He came out with the microphone, they asked me what happened, and I'm just coaching the side to play at quarter time. He put the microphone there, I took the microphone, and luckily it just come off, and Brad tore it off, and as I'm going in, I put it in the bin. Yeah, he put it in the bin. Uh, Malcolm Gregory Brown, has there been any more colourful, controversial character in Australian rules football history? You name me one that has been more colourful or controversial than him. Because I'm going to feature Mal. He's going to join us on the program a little bit later on. He's coming over to Perth tomorrow, and he's going to spend about a month here. But he's coming over primarily for a big reunion on Saturday. So we're going to talk about that. But uh, get on the Tempera Bedshed text line. Love to hear from you. Uh, That's 0487 736 736. Has there been, if so... Name the person a more colourful, controversial football character in Australian rules football folklore other than Malcolm Brown. 0487 736 736. There's just a couple of snippets. Of course, uh, he ripped the microphone from a Channel 7 reporter, Alan Solly, at quarter time in a game uh, when he was coaching, I think, Perth on that occasion. He came out with an interesting comment regarding how he used to address uh, the Aboriginal footballers that had so much respect for him, at particularly the South Fremantle Football Club. 
It was involved in two incredible brawls. The brawl at Windy Hill uh, that he spoke about when he was involved with Richmond against Essendon. And, of course, the one we took on the whole Carlton Football Club in those national championships, which uh, pitted together the uh, premiership winners from every state. It was housed in Adelaide. And he uh, knocked most of the Carlton Footy Club, who won the premiership that year in 1972, to the ground and broke a couple of players' jaws as well. But anyway, uh, love to hear from you on the Temperate Bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. You can also join us on the Scarborough Turnout open line, 131255. Uh, ben Dalgleish and the team, uh, they buy all makes and models there at Scarborough Toyota in Osmond Park, and also they uh, service all makes and models as well. We'll take an early break. Uh, Brownie's going to join us a bit later on. As I mentioned, we'll also have a chat to Peter Bocop, who's the Chief Operating Officer of Venues West, who look after Optus Stadium, who look after all the sporting venues and entertainment venues around town, I'd like to get a, uh, a bit of a snapshot on how many tickets maybe remain for State of Origin on Sunday. Also, uh, regarding the West Coast Fever, they've got their grand final and they reckon they're going to pack out RAC Arena. They wait to see who their grand finalists will be. We'll get a bit of a snapshot how ticket sales are going with Peter when he joins us a bit later on. But we'll take a break at five past five. Uh, Brett Phillips is going to join us next. Talking tennis and Mel Brown's not too far away here on the Drive program. All thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmart, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Yes, and as I mentioned, uh, Mal Brown's going to join us, the father of Campbell Brown, uh, regarding a huge reunion that's happening over here in Perth on Saturday. And uh, we featured some of the snippets involving Mal Brown and his colourful time in Australian rules football as a coach and as a player. And I threw it out there, has there been any more colourful, controversial character in the history of Australian rules football. And on the temperate bedshed text line, uh, Big Al from North Lake, uh, Alex says, Wacko Jackson. Mark Jackson wasn't far behind. Malcolm Gregory Brown, Jason Akamanis wasn't far behind as well. There's a couple there and just some others. Uh, the best Mel Brown story was when he was banned from the footy ground so then he got in a cherry picker with a cage to be lifted over the fence. What a character. That's Mike. He did actually was banned from coaching, I think, South Fremantle in the WAFL and wasn't allowed inside Fremantle Oval. So they got a cherry picker outside the ground and they lowered him where, of course, the actual case did not touch the ground and he addressed his troops that way. You don't see those sort of things these days. Uh, Crackers Keenan is also another one has been mentioned. Get on the temper of bedshed text line 0487 736 736. Malcolm Gregory Brown's going to join us in just a moment. Uh, just a before we speak to Brett Phillips, there has been a club statement released from the Collingwood Football Club regarding Jordan Dugowie. If you haven't heard the news, uh, the Collingwood Football Club advises player Jordan Dugowie has been granted personal leave by the club and will not take part in the round 15 match against the GWS Giants to be played on Sunday, June 26. Jordan has been absent from training this week and the club will continue to support him on his return to the football program. So that's the latest on what's been, you know, a major story in the AFL with Jordan Dugowie. 
A major story will be uh, who will win Wimbledon. We'll know probably in just over two weeks' time. Next Monday gets underway at the All England Club, and a man that's going to be right across it is uh, Brett Phillips from uh, SEN, of course, our tennis expert and the host of the first serve. Brett, thanks for your time. Uh, thank you, Pete. Nice to chat. Well, the tennis world is really a buzz. Uh, Serena Williams looms with the big comeback at Wimbledon. Yeah, she does. Um, we weren't quite sure if she was going to uh, get back, Peter, but look, uh, it's going to be fascinating. I think, you know, once the draw comes out and players start to scan and have a look and see they're maybe on the same side of the draw as Serena, <clears throat> excuse me, they might be thinking, hmm. You know, this is uh, probably a play you don't want to go up against, even though <clears throat> she's coming in a bit underdone. Playing doubles this week with On Shabur, uh, just to get a bit of touch and feel on the grass. And she has had a few weeks, um, you know, trying to get her conditioning, uh, just get a feel for the game again. Uh, but she's a champion, and she wouldn't be coming back if she didn't think she could, you know, possibly uh, win a, a fairy tale 24th major, even though I. You know, I just, I've, I've sort of reiterated this for a little while, Peter, and I think it's just, you know, mission impossible for mine uh, for her to win seven matches in a fortnight. We saw last year going down with injury at Wimbledon. Interestingly, this year, you will remember back 12 months ago, uh, centre court and court one, which traditionally you're never allowed to practice on, right? Those courts never get touched from uh, year to year. And they were as slippery as anything. And Serena went down with the injury. We thought mm. a lot of players uh, slipping around. And, yeah, they've certainly opened up those two courts, I think, to have some practice sessions uh, prior to Wimbledon, just to scuff them up a bit and make uh, the footing a little bit more solid underneath. But, yeah, look, it's, uh, it's added something, hasn't it? Because right now we've got, you know, Igor Sviontek so far clear as the world number one. You know, a pack underneath who none of those are convincing me they could possibly win Wimbledon. So Serena just adds some intrigue to the draw because of who she is and what she's done. What about the Australians? There's a heat going through qualifying at the moment to try and get into the main draw. Have you got the latest on that? I think there's as many as seven only on the women's side. Yeah, we had uh, started with 11 overnight and seven got through, which is a, a pretty good result. I think we'll, we'll take that. And there's a couple, uh, you know, Gadecki lost a really close one. There's a couple that went down pretty narrowly, so Qualies is tough. At uh, Roehampton, of course, about five uh, five miles down the road there in London, and uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. But you've got to earn your earn your victories to get into the main draw of uh, Wimbledon. And yeah, Jason Kubler, uh, Max Purcell, Rinky Hijikata, uh, first time for Rinky, who I'm a massive fan of, uh, getting a chance to be in Wimbledon Qualies. He got through his first round, uh, but yeah, some really good stories overnight. Jamie Fuller's continuing her amazing run. I mean, she has gone from, what, 260-odd to 150 in the space of a month uh, with her success on the ITF Tour. Wins a first-up match, uh, saved a couple of match points uh, last night to get through to the second round of quality. So, yeah, if you can get yourself into a main draw, even though they're not going to get the benefit this year of rankings points, but for a lot of those young Aussies, it's just a nice uh, paycheck uh, for some of them if they can get uh, into that first round. So yeah, that'll continue uh, later tonight. Has there been anybody really documented at this stage that's not playing at Wimbledon because there's no rankings points, Brett? No, not not that I know of. No, unless something drastically happens over the next uh, couple of days ahead of the draw and whether, you know, post the draw, there's a couple of uh, late withdrawals. I can tell you just probably one example from an Australian point of view. So Chris O'Connell 
is 110 in the world at the moment. I was on text with Chris uh, last night, and I noticed he wasn't in the qualifying draw. He would have been almost the top seed in that. So he's opted uh, to play two challenges from next week and then the second week of Wimbledon because right now he said, look, I don't necessarily need the prize money check, but I'm trying to crack the top 100. And if I go and play two challenges, whilst those fields are a little bit weaker uh, because a lot of the players are going to be at Wimbledon, this might be my chance to crack inside the top 100. So that's the decision he's made. And And that's a decision that's probably a little easier to make around that part of the ecosystem where... You know, you can get some maybe valuable points playing in the, the challenges where points maybe mean a little bit more than uh, than prize money right now. So, mm. but I think, yeah, I think most of the players will be intact because I think once they've digested all this, Pete, they've said, hey, it's still Wimbledon. It's my chance to maybe win Wimbledon or go deep and the prize money is still going to be the same, if not a little bit more. I know we speak about Nick Kyrgios every time we have a chat, but his grass court form has been very good leading into Wimbledon. And I think he came out and said, now that there's no rankings points uh, in this major, it actually releases the pressure a bit on him. So he's no doubt comfortable financially. But uh, Nick Kyrgios, for me, and I said this to a couple of other people, it could be a bit of a surprise packet on the grass. Well, I'll put it to you this way, Pete. I mean, look, he, he can win most of these matches he's been playing the last few weeks. Where's he gone? Stuttgart to Hull to um, Majorca this week. I mean, he can win these matches with his eyes closed. That's how talented this guy is. So, uh, But he gets to that sort of semi-final stage and something sort of goes a little pear-shaped where it gets a little tougher. He gets frustrated. The temperament loses its way and he loses a match. I mean, he could have won those two uh, titles the last two weeks at both those at respective events. So there's no doubt if he gets a pretty good draw, he could be through to the fourth round of Wimbledon in the blink of an eye. But still not convincing me personally that he can go the duration of any tournament right now. Mm. But who knows? So he does, he does play well on grass, I agree. I mean, his serve is arguably the best in the business. And, you know, you get value for shots on grass because it zips through, but... Whether he can hold it together mentally above the shoulders, that's still the million-dollar question. Is there going to be any major stories that come out of Wimbledon? If you had to forecast something that could uh, develop, as we know, we've got the Russian Belarusian (laughs) exodus, but uh, I've got a feeling that there's something very, very interesting that will come out of Wimbledon because it's such a different tournament this time around. Yeah, well, it's a great uh, great question. I mean, you know, who would have seen a, an Emma Raducanu last year? I mean, no one could forecast that. You know, she was 334 in the world and made a fourth round. Uh, went down to Isla Tomjanovic, of course, and then went on to play Barty in the quarters. But um, there, there'll be there'll be someone that emerges. There always is. It's just really hard to forecast that mm. uh, pre, uh, pre-tournament. But... Look, the thing about Wimbledon, it is, I mean, it's a must, it's the must watch of any of the slams because of the fact that, you know, just, it's just grass court tennis. Watching grass court tennis is, is brilliant. Um, we love it. There's not a big enough season. Uh, there should be really a Masters 1000 on grass, I think, to extend that grass court season. Yeah. Um, but we're going to see, you know, maybe, maybe it's, <laughs> Maybe it's Serena um, mm. going above above and beyond and doing something. I mean, if she if she won a twenty fourth major at forty years of age, that is the sporting story of the year, I think. So, 
We'll wait and see. Yeah, that'd no, be quite amazing. Uh, and having a look at the Australians, of course, from a male's perspective, uh, how many we've got? Of course, Alex Demonor and Co. You wouldn't think that the Australians on the men's side of the draw will probably go too deep. Well, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, right now we've got eight inside the top 100, which is. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've had eight, but a lot of those are in that 50 to 100 bracket who are all capable of much better, I think. Um, And look, we keep saying about Alex Demonor, if he can just get a kind draw, because he had had a good period on the grass. This time last year, he was uh, runner-up at Queen's, won Eastbourne, where he is this week. And then he uh, drew Sebastian Corder in a really tough first-round match. I uh, would love to kind of match up the that. So if Demon can get a, a couple of matchups early that are favourable and he gets through to a third or fourth, he loves the value of playing on the grass because he takes the ball early and he, he rips it through the court. So he's still, he's still our top billing. He's still our yeah, greatest chance because mm. the rest haven't quite been good enough, to be honest, to really go deep in a major. I see Storm Sanders, the West Australian, won a, a doubles tournament uh, just a few days ago. So that's a great effort by Storm. I think with a partner, was she playing with the, the Russian girl? No, she was oh, playing the with the... girl. No, 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 the Czech. The Czech. I was close. <laughs> yeah. Geographically, I was getting there. <laughs> you're, in the, you're in the region, people. Yeah. About that. Uh, Katerina Siniakina, yeah, former it. world number one, and Look, Storm's got an interesting decision to make, I reckon. I'd love to know what her mindset is, Peter, because she's now up to 12 in the world in doubles, second 500 title up. She wow. won with Ash in Adelaide earlier this year. And her singles, I spoke to her on the first serve, I reckon it was October last year. She got to 119. She was on the cusp. She was playing really good singles tennis, lefty. You thought she can crack double figures here. The uh, singles ranking has plummeted back outside the top 200 now. She's 27, I think, better turn 28. And if you're if you're at the pointy end of women's doubles, the paychecks are pretty decent. Mm. And it'll be an interesting one to see where she leans from here because I think she's still capable of playing good singles. She won overnight in qualies for Wimbledon. Um, so we'll wait, wait and see. It's an interesting watch. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, good on you, Brett. Well, uh... Catch up on your sleep because you won't be getting much uh, from the two weeks starting on uh, Monday. And, of course, you'll have all the information on the the first serve and you've probably got other media commitments as well around Wimbledon because you're the best in the business. Thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, Pleasure. Anytime, Pete. You know that. Good on you. you. Uh, 22 past five here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. Brett Phillips just giving us an early look at Wimbledon only because there's so many Australians at the moment going through qualities. Madison Inglis, uh, the West Australian, is there, as is the other West Australian, Astra Sharma, Storm Sanders, we've heard about. So uh, there's some interesting uh, West Australian people and players currently in qualities trying to get into the main draw at Wimbledon. And watch it uh, pretty closely. Mal Brown's going to join us next. Um, Has he been, as I said at the top of the show, the most colourful and controversial character ever? to put on the boots or certainly to be in charge of a uh, football team. Of course, he coached four WAFL clubs. See if you can name them. See if you can name the four WAFL clubs that Mal Brown coached. I, I can't recall anybody coaching more than four in the local league, but Brownie did. Can you name them? Uh, get on the temperate bedshed text line. 0487-736-736. And also give us an idea. If you had to look at the most colourful and controversial character in AFL football at the moment, right now, 
who would that be? And I'd like to make a comparison between now and then. And speaking of then, Mal Brown joins us next here on Drive. It's 23 past five. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Yeah, good on you, Matt of Millenden. Thanks for tuning in uh, on SEN Drive with Peter Vlahos. Yes, uh, Brownie coached four clubs in the WAFL, East Perth, Claremont, South Fremantle, and the Perth Footy Club as well. I can't recall anyone else actually coaching four waffle clubs. Well, we've got him in the car. He's driving to see his daughter before he flies out uh, to Perth tomorrow. He's going to spend uh, a little time back home and he's going to be involved with a very special set of people on Saturday, a reunion of significant uh, magnitude, 50-year reunion uh, from the Premiership team of 1972. Mal Brown joins us on Drive with Peter Vlahos. Mal, thanks for your time. My pleasure, Peter. Uh, a nice cold Victoria on my way to WA. Yeah, no, looking forward to seeing you here. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. And uh, as we mentioned off air, it's a big weekend here in Perth. We've got Friday night, the Eagles doing battle with Essendon. And then on Sunday, the State of Origin uh, game two between New South Wales and Queensland. But you're coming over for what is going to be a great reunion. The 1972 WAFL Premiers for East Perth. And you and some of your old teammates will be celebrating that 50th anniversary on Saturday. Yeah, it should be. Look, it'll be a little bit sad uh, with the passing of, uh, of Eddie Peter a little while ago and then Ken Deers earlier in the year. Um, it'll be a bit sad for that. And there's a couple of boys we can't get hold of. We've been looking for Peter Barr. If anyone knows where he is, I'd love to find out where he is because Peter played 19 games that year and didn't play in the grand final and uh, I think David Whittle they tell us is over in Scotland so uh, um, we did that the other than that we expect a pretty good roll up. Uh, it'd be fantastic and of course East Perth do play Claremont in the WAFL competition that afternoon. Tell us about that day Brownie because there had been a bit of a drought for East Perth the last time they won a premiership was in 1959. Gee, they played in a few grand finals during the 60s, but never got to a uh, premiership. 1972, that all changed. Well, it was one of those things that we played in a lot of. I mean, the Mal Apple went from East Perth over to Perth, and they won three in a row. Um, and we were just... And then West Perth knocked us off in 70 and 69, I think, my first year as coach. Uh, and... Uh, um, it was just, there was a wonderful uh, lot of East Perth around. If you look at Apple, Farmer, folks like that, then Bradley Smith down the track, Coach D. Schumann, Ron Alexander. I mean, there was a lot of East Perth players that went on to become uh, pretty influential in their in their footy careers. So, but that year was a fantastic year. We uh, uh, we had a lot of help from a lot of good blokes. I think Laurie Elliott was a phys editor. Um, Herb's brother, and in his own right, a very, very good uh, fantastic, uh, the players loved him used to be running down the back and picking them up and pushing them up the front and then we had Chatty of course that uh, could, didn't play because he got injured and um, he kind of got injured when he started his career and then he missed out on the grand final in 72 and uh, uh, I think East Perth won the seconds as well with uh, Bradley Smith was the coach um, he took over from Alistair McMillan who was going to coach the side and then he had to I think he went to Hale School or something and 
So it was a lot of changes, but the, it was a pretty good side. A lot of players played in different positions later in their careers. And uh, Claremont were favourites, of course. Uh, they'd had a very, very successful year, and uh, we were lucky enough to knock them off on the grand final day. If you, I think the scoring shots, we should have won by a bit more. Yeah, when you look at it, uh, Brownie, you played then in the era of captain coaches. We know Graham Farmer went from East Perth to Geelong to West Perth and defeated his old uh, WAFL side in 69 and 71. He too was a captain coach. What was it like actually being the captain and the coach during that era when football was certainly very much alive? Well, I, I think being quite honest, uh, being... Uh, the thing to me was uh, 24 or whatever, you kind of lost the spirit of all the rest of the team because you weren't able to go out and have a beer with them during the week and all that because your time was taken up in uh, you know coaching, uh, selection, uh, junior council work, um, uh, socialising to, to support the club with their sponsors. So it cut away really a bit of your young life, your youthful life, with the, where all the, you know, Bradley Smith and Jimmy Haynes and all us, but Gary Glee were all good mates. But that was most probably on reflection. Uh, and it also, you didn't concentrate so much on playing well yourself as much as you tried to make sure the side won the game. And those things were pretty important. Um, but you... You know, if you're in a certain position in the game, you you, you were more become more defensive or more instructive. Um, uh, so I think that it most probably does take away a little bit from you as a player, but the excitement is the fact of being out there that you can also shift shift others and yourself to uh, put them in or out of the play to try and uh, plug up holes because uh, in a season you're always going to have some sort of highs and lows in relation to individuals in your own form. Yeah, it was interesting, actually. You talk about it may take away from your playing days, but when you were captain coach in 1969, you actually won the Sandover medal for the fairest and best player in the WAFL, so it didn't take away from you in that year. Uh, I wasn't coaching in 69. I was under the great Jack Sheedy. Ah, in um, 69. So, okay. Yeah, and I coached in 1970 to 72, um, but uh, I was pretty lucky. Uh, I, I was most probably one of the luckiest young lads in the, ever to play in West Australian football because I had uh, Austin Robertson Sr. as my coach at Scotch College, and uh, he used to say, you've got to have guts, G-U-T-Z. Um, you three get over there in pairs, and I'll win you the game at uh, three-quarter time if you're even with them. And uh, then... I used to sneak out of Scotch on a Sunday and go down and get picked up by Clive Lewington and play for Coburn. Wow. And uh, Clive used to take us out. and So I'm pretty lucky. I was most probably a very, very... And then to end up with Jack Sheedy. Um, and I was also lucky enough to have uh, Kevin Murray as my first coach. And then I had Derek Chadwick, who was just an unbelievable support to, to me as an individual at 24. Um He'd challenge you for the selection of sides. He'd really, um, but he'd always end up saying, well, if you've given that much thought, whatever, I'll support it. But he, he really was very, very good and very important uh, to me in, in, in coaching. No, he was an outstanding uh, footballer, an outstanding cricketer. And it's just bizarre that 
Chatty, of course, played in many a grand final for East Perth, but was never a premiership player. Just was dogged with that sort of bad luck. And, of course, I think he may have retired early in 1972. And, of course, the team went on to win the premiership that year. But I believe he's been invited to the reunion. Absolutely. He's got a kidney. I think he injured his kidney, if my memory's right, that year, I'm pretty sure. But people underestimate Chadwick, not just because he was a cricketer, a great, very good player, but when he used to go away and play state footy, they used to, he was an outstanding performer for WA, and they used to write up his head in, in his critique in the budget or whatever it was, the records, was pound for pound the best wingman in Australia. And it absolutely used to give Kenny Eustace from South Australia the willies. Because <laughs> he, he, he thought he was, <laughs> and uh, but Chad, he was an amazing player, and uh, was but uh, we were very lucky, you know, in that year. As I said, Peter Barr play 19 games and get dropped, and we, yeah, I think Peter was replaced by Laurie McPherson from oh, Swan yes. Districts because Laurie, Laurie gave us a, a bit of defence as well as midfield as met his forward capabilities, as did Peter, but it was just a different style of player. In the reunion on Saturday, will that uh, certainly game when all the premiers of every uh, football competition came together at the end of the season and there was that sort of national premiers competition and, of course, uh, you go down in footy folklore in taking on the whole Carlton side who won the VFL premiership that year. East Perth won, as we know, the WA NFL premiership and you played against them. And it's uh, people are still looking at the vision on YouTube, Brownie, when you took all the blue baggers on. Oh, well, Campbell always says to me, did they ever catch me taking a mark or getting a kick? That he, he never ever seen any of that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was quite. It was quite. Uh, to quote the famous uh, Ling Wong Andrews of Stellarg, Victoria, Dan Andrews, the Premier. At his uh, great inquiry, I know nothing, I can't recall, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, very good. Brown, it's going to be a fantastic 1972. Before we talk about a couple of quickly uh, other matters, did you enjoy being a coach more than being a player? Because as you know, you coached East Perth as a captain coach, you coached at Perth, Claremont, you had some great success at South Fremantle. And as a player, you won the Sandover medal and you went to Richmond where you probably didn't play as many games as would as you would have liked. Were you a better player or a better coach in your eyes? Oh, mate. mate it's, it's very embarrassing. Uh, I think I can be accused of valve the mouth and all those things, but I've, <laughs> really never, I've never really discussed my own... Uh, my own career, really, because uh, uh, that's for others to judge. Um, I, I think if you say to me, what satisfaction do you get? I think getting, I think the satisfaction, with South Fremantle, we should have won one more flag, and that was a, a, a cross for me, against me. We didn't deserve to win in 79 when East Fremantle beat us, I think, three or four times for the year. But the thrill I got was most probably over the last few years seeing... Uh, uh, Nicky Winmar, Brad Hardy, um, and uh, Ken Hunter all get selected in the uh, you know Hall of Fame in mm. AFL footy because mm. if you look at the greatest thrill you get is seeing young people that you've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to see play, uh, pick them out, and see them go through the ranks to achieve great success. And uh, uh, I get 
even today, I don't really barrack for Richmond or uh, Hawthorne because of Campbell. I look at young Gus Sheldrick, who I know his grand, their grandparents that plays for Sydney, or young Devin Robertson, who I went to live opposite in Darren, his father, Billy Robertson. I get more enjoy watching those kids play than just being a fanatical club supporter, I suppose. Uh, I just like seeing the young players come through. and that. So I suppose you'd have to say <clears throat> uh, most probably coaching. Though I, I regret, I regret uh, uh, that when they played the grand final on the... Uh, 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 a normal Saturday, but they made the, the preliminary final on the Sunday because at that stage no one knew how to get blokes off work. Uh, you couldn't ice them down. You couldn't have treatment on a Monday because they were, and it was kind of very hard to get uh, all organised, all that sort of thing. It was something new, but it's just become normal everyday footy now in modern day footy. Yeah, and speaking about Campbell Brown, he's doing an outstanding job as a broadcaster. On SEN as well, uh, we hear him quite regularly here in Western Australia. Mel, uh, just really fast tracking it to the present. Uh, these days, with phone cameras and whatever, you can't do anything cheeky. Otherwise, you get hauled over the coals, and it goes viral on social media. I'm just wondering uh, what if there were uh, phone cameras around in your day, just what the public may have seen. Well, I think. I think the difference between today and those days was that uh, we didn't publicise where we went. Um, if you got drunk, I carried you home. Next time, if I got drunk, you carried me home. Maybe your teammates didn't know that hear the gossip around the thing. It was far more private, uh, and we didn't let everybody know where we were travelling and what we were doing. And... Um, I think nowadays the worst part is that a lot of these releases come out from their so-called friends or people that want to use it to market themselves and be big time uh, to prove what they've, what they've achieved. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter what... Nowadays, the phone and the internet and TikTok and Splutter and Flutter and all these things, uh, I mean, it's just ruined everyone's uh, privacy and... Uh, um, I feel very sad for the players today because you, you get into trouble for things that are irrelevant and down the track, two or five or ten years later, it comes out that uh, the things didn't happen the way they said. And uh, to Goey, obviously, look, in our day, you'd have most probably given him a, got him after the second time and given him a bloody good belting uh, and told him to grow up. But what he did was silly, going away... And people say, well, he's on 800,000 and he shouldn't be allowed to go by the club. But, I mean, I, I hate Dan Andrews because he's taken the freedom away. Everything in Victoria was taken away. You can only drive five kilometres. You can only drive 10 kilometres. You've got to be in bed by nine o'clock. We were brought up in an era where we got up and we were allowed to do what we wanted to do. If you want to go for a run, you want to go to the beach. And I think we're just making it so hard for these young people now and the other thing is, we all, your dad and me most probably forget some of the things we did that we stuffed up mm. that we can't remember and they can't remember, but nowadays it all of a sudden it's on the front page of the paper. Yeah. Um, so it is very hard. It's very, very hard today. I'm luck, I think I was lucky to live in a wonderful era of football, a wonderful era of West Australia, 
And it's just so bad now that Australia is divided into six or seven different countries that are all promoting and marketing their own abilities. Brownie, I'm really looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. I know you've lived in Melbourne and Victoria for many, many years, but I think I'm a West Australian. Yeah, I think deep down inside, you mentioned Darren in the conversation, uh, the Robertsons. You're going to come over here for a few weeks. Uh, you still feel very connected over here, and you enjoy coming back, don't you? Oh, mate, I was like a drug addict. I used to have to come back about three or four times a year. <laughs> uh, Brownie, uh, we look forward to seeing you. All your mates are going to be there on Saturday. It's going to be a heck of an afternoon, and uh, I know you'd put a lot of work and time and effort into organising this 50-year anniversary of the 1972 East Perth Premiership side. Drive safely to your daughters. That's where we've got you. And we'll see you in Perth at the weekend. Thanks, Peter. Enjoy. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Nice uh, text on the temperate bedshed text line from Dave of Auburn Grove. Good on you, Dave. I think it's the first time we've connected here on the Drive program with Peter Vlahos. Wasn't it great to have a chat to Brownie? He said, absolutely magnificent to hear from Mal. He will go down as one of the greatest characters WA football has ever seen. Often his deeds as a coach and player are underestimated. Many of his former players went on to become absolute stars of the game. He is a ripper as a Bulldog supporter, and some of my fondest memories are of watching Mal Brown coach sides in the mighty Red V. Great to hear that his life is treating him well. Outstanding interview, Pete. Thanks for that, Dave. I appreciate it. Also, by the way, on Saturday, there'll be also a 20-year anniversary, Tony McHale's team that won the Premiership for East Perth in 2002. So it's going to be a big day. All right, let's uh, speak to the Chief Operating Officer of Venues West now. It is exciting times at all the Venues West uh, outlets, particularly Optus Stadium and RAC Arena. Pete, uh, a very good evening to you. Good evening, Pete. How are you travelling, mate? Oh, I'm very well. It's exciting. What a big weekend we've got here at Optus Stadium this weekend. Oh. Of course, uh, Friday night, uh, and this is where the SEN studios are, we've got West Coast and Essendon, and then the big one on Sunday. Yeah, look, back to what you said at the start, Pete, nearly every major sporting code in the world is going to be represented at Optus Stadium over the next month or so. It's an absolute delight. So, yeah, kicking off, obviously, with the Eagles versus Essendon and then Origin. Um, people that haven't seen it, they're the, probably Australia's greatest sporting rivalry. And I must say, I'm a New South Welshman originally, and mm. um, I need the the Blues to get back up there. And, um, mate, we're so close to selling out. There's only a handful of tickets left. And last time we had this game, we had over 59,000 people there. So let's see if we can sell it out and crack the 60,000. So saying that, you think by the time Sunday comes, it it probably will be a sellout, Pete? I th- Look, I think so. As I said, mate, there's a handful left. After Origin 1, um, the ticket spiked and it nearly cleaned up what's left. But there's... There's a few going back on there from some sponsors that didn't pick up their tickets and so forth. So not too late, but don't leave it much longer. Okay. Uh, and where can people access to see what's available? If you jump onto the Ticketmaster website, um, they can give you what are, what options are currently left. Good stuff. That's the best way to do it. All right. So we've got State of Origin on Sunday and the following weekend we've got Rugby, the other code, uh, where we've got the Wallabies against England. Tell us more about this. I was going to say, you talk about the, the other great rival, Australia versus England. Um, obviously, uh, Rugby Union on this occasion. Uh, the match is on the 2nd of July. It's the first test of the tour. 
And, you know, Wallabies and, and rugby have done it a little tough lately, but I have to say Optus is a bit of a happy hunting ground for the Wallabies. It's not often teams beat the All Blacks, but last time they played there, bit of a boil over, they beat the All Blacks. Uh, last time England were here, they won the Test Series 3-zip. So I'm really hoping the Wallabies get up and, and show us what they're made of and go home with another win. And ticket sales still strong for that one? Yeah, still strong. Still tickets left, um, but definitely quite strong. I think, um, again, maybe not quite a full sellout, but we hope we get very close. Okay. Uh, we've got the Fremantle Dockers playing Port Adelaide on the Sunday of that weekend, or is it the Saturday, Pete? Uh, but it's a big weekend. Sunday the Dockers. It's yeah. Sunday the Dockers against Port Adelaide. The other thing that is a big event in July, July's going to be huge. That's the first weekend of July. Towards the tail end of July, we've got the Icon Perth International Festival of Football. We know the Manchester United Aston Villa game, I believe, is a sellout, but there's still tickets for Leeds and Crystal Palace, correct? Yeah, look, they've both sold incredibly strongly. Man, you... Again, there might be some tickets coming back on as some tickets come back in, so keep an eye out for it. There's still still a chance, and there's still tickets available for Leeds and Crystal Palace. But, I mean, how often is it that you get four awesome EPL teams? And one of the best thing is the travelling clubs have committed to bringing their, their first full-strength team. So the top players will be there, and they'll be on the pitch, which is awesome. I'll tell you what I'm really excited about, Pete, is uh, a couple of weeks ago it was uh, put out there by the Super Netball League that the grand final, regardless of the combatants, would be at RAC Arena, and it's great. It must have given the West Coast Fever a real spur because they won the major semi-final, and they'll be there contesting the grand final, a chance to win their very first premiership on the 3rd of July. This will be a full house. Uh, absolutely. We've had so many requests for, for tickets and, and obviously there's going to be a final release when the opposition team is known. Um, fortunately, we won the semi and we're straight in, which is, which is amazing. Um, I know the other states are really jealous, Pete. I know my mother is a netball tragic in New South <laughs> Wales and she rang me complaining that we stole the young grand final. But I think it's just a wonderful thing for, for um, lady sport in Western Australia. The government's right behind it. And I think it's time. I think it's the fever's time to win. They've gone so close so many times. They've had some challenges. They've overcome them. And I reckon this is the year, mate. So yeah. that grand final is going to be an absolute butler. So, Pete, I know the configurations change depending on the event, but what will be roughly uh, the uh, total number that may be able to be crammed in to RAC Arena for that grand final? Mate, we're, we're, we're saying that we're going to be probably just creeping over 14,000. Gee, that's a great which crowd. Which I Oh, look, I think I'm hoping we can set some records for netball and also for the sport in the arena. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Now, we've got three young boys that love their basketball in the producers' area. The Harlem Globetrotters are here a couple of days after that. Yeah, on Tuesday, the 5th of July, world famous Harlem Globetrotters. It's a long awaited return to Perth tour. And um, have you ever seen these guys, Pete? Yeah, seen I before? saw them many moons ago, many moons ago. Oh, look, it's it's one of the most fun events you can ever have, and it's not just not just on what these guys can do is unbelievable. The talent that comes out of these people will leave your jaw on the ground. So, um, and as again, selling really well, handful of tickets left. And it really rounds out an unbelievable month of international world-class events in Perth, Pete. Well done, Pete. Thanks for giving us a snapshot. We'll talk again in about four weeks' time, mate, on a Wednesday. Thanks for your time this evening. 
No worries. We'll see you at some of those events, Pete. You look forward to it. Can't wait. Uh, yes, that's the show tonight. It's great to have Peter Bocop there giving us a bit of a snapshot. So there you go. That gives you an idea of the landscape for the major events. Thanks to Jimmy. Thanks to Bray. Thanks to Ethan. Cast of thousands there. I'll be back with Kim Hagdorn tomorrow night. AFL Teams night from 5 o'clock. I'll see you.